Please uh, join me in reading the Apostles' Creed this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to see you all. I'm glad to be here. My name's Nathaniel. I'm the missions guy. Uh, And I'm going to be joining you uh, this morning and continuing our sermon series in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but before we dive into that, I actually want to talk a little bit about hope with you guys, about hope. And so when I was uh, thinking about hope, the very first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, Star Wars. Star Wars, a new hope. And so I know I'm not the only nerd in here, and there's plenty of you who like Star Wars. Thank you. And so Star Wars, a new hope, I mean, it's an entire story about hope. And basically, you know, you got the evil empire, they control everything. And it's a hopeless situation for the whole, you know, galaxy because they're really oppressed. And so the new hope is that Luke Skywalker, new hero, you know, comes onto the picture. And all of a sudden, there is hope. Like, that's the entire point of the whole franchise. And in fact, even the new stuff that they got coming out nowadays, hope is still kind of the central theme. And it's grown to be pretty much like one of the most famous and popular franchises of all time. And it's based around hope. The second thing I thought of was uh, the Dallas Cowboys. And and everybody always says, this is our year, right? Right? That's hope. People always have hope. I mean, as misguided as that may be for Cowboys fans. Nah, I'm just kidding. My Colts, though, that's that's truth, you know. But... uh, as misguided as it may be. No, I'm just kidding. But it's hope, right? The whole NFL is built on hope. Every single team, every fan, every year, the whole idea is that, man, this is our year. There's a reason to watch. That's why the draft gets so much attention. That's why even now training camp is happening for a lot of teams, and uh, people eat that up. They're watching practice. Like, that's it. (laughs) It's not anything special. And yet people are like, man, this is our year. I want to see how good our players are. It's because it's hope. Hope resonates with people. Hope is something that we all hold on to, and we know it's super important to our lives. And hope is something that we've all, you know, we've all experienced it. We've also all experienced hopelessness in different situations. In daily life, it's kind of seen as this way that we persevere. We get through the hard times. We get through trials. We're able to hold on to hope to be able to get past it. In uh, Psychology Today, they had an article about how to find hope in the midst of trial. And basically, it all boiled down to them saying things like, you need to make a plan, you need to look at other people's success stories to be able to pull hope from that. You need to take baby steps, don't take on too much, you know, and uh, to serve others, to be able to be in community. And these are all really great things. These are good things that really do help. But they're things that could possibly give somebody hope. It's a search to obtain hope is really what it is. And 
unfortunately, hopelessness is kind of a cycle of apathy, right? And so you, you see this, this cycle of we need to do these things to get hope, and yet we're hopeless. We, we, can't, we, we can't get it. And so they give you all these different ways to try to manufacture hope, to be able to create it. And really, it just breeds more hopelessness in many cases. A lot of therapists will tell you that uh, community is one of the best ways, hoping that other people can give you hope. And yes, this is good stuff, but it's, it's a picture that the world has of hope that makes it fickle. It's a thing that can come, it can go, it could be here, and the next day it could not be. And that's the way the world sees hope, is it's very important. Matter of fact, it's vital for us as humans, and yet it's something that we can't really grasp onto, and it's very difficult to have at all times. Scripture gives us a different definition of hope, though, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Colossians 1.23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel, the hope we have in the gospel is a definite thing. It's solid. It's not some wishy-washy thing. Rather, hope in Scripture is seen as a confidence that we have in truth. It's completely definite. It's not maybe. It's not wishful thinking. And that's the difference that we have. As believers, we see hope in a different light, and hope means something completely different for us. We can have a for sure knowledge that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, no matter what. And it's going to affect our lives in dramatic ways. But how do we know that this this hope, this biblical hope, how do we know that it's actually truth? How do we have that assurance? And so today in the Apostles' Creed, we're going to continue with the line, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this line, the ascension of Jesus Christ, is the assurance that we have that our hope in the gospel is true. And so our passage today is Acts 2, 32 through 39. And a little background, this is right after Pentecost. Uh, Peter is preaching. Uh, a lot of other dudes have the Holy Spirit upon them, and they are preaching in different languages. And Peter's preaching uh, to Jerusalem, and it's a one of the most amazing sermons. And this right here is the very tail end of that. And so I'm going to read this. We're going to pray, and then kind of dive into what the ascension is and what that really means for us in our lives. So Acts two, starting at thirty-two, says. <clears throat> it's not coming up. Starting in verse 32. And he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing the evidence of the Holy Spirit in this moment. For, God, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise 
is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our our God calls to himself. Lord, thank you so much for today, for the opportunity to be able to dive into your word, to be able to understand more of your character and understand the things that we see in scripture, even some of the tough things, the things that we're not quite sure what it means. And yet you give us clarity. You give us revelation into who you are. Lord, I ask right now that I submit myself to you, that, that I am able to say the words that you have and be able to give the message that you have today and that it won't be me, but rather you. So Holy Spirit, I ask for your presence here today. And I thank you for all things that you have blessed us with. In your name, amen. So we're going to talk about the ascension today. And now the ascension is something that uh, really you don't hear a lot of sermons about. You don't read a lot about it. It's, it's kind of something that is pushed to the side, and only because it's, it doesn't appear directly in that many passages. And so it's just not a common thing to be talked about. And yet the ascension is a very miraculous thing, and it's also something that is super vital to the church and to every single Christian. And so I'm going to ask three questions, answer those questions, and we're just going to kind of walk through the ascension. So the first question is really just what is the ascension of Christ? What actually happened? Well, he had Jesus' ministry, right? And he was crucified, and he died, and then he rose again. And then he spent about 40 days or so, a little over a month, just hanging out with the, the disciples, the apostles, other believers, and he kept teaching them things and really laying the foundation for the church that we know today. And so during this time, he's continuing his teaching. And then it says in Acts 1-9, when he had said these things, and he had taken the dudes out to Bethany and was teaching them some more, taught them kind of the last lesson. And then it says, when he had said these things, then uh, he lifted up, wait, where is Yeah, he lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. And so basically, Jesus is hanging out with his guys and he's teaching them very important things. And then he just floats up into the sky. Like that's really what the ascension is. He floats up into the sky, and then it says a cloud took him from sight. I mean, really, this means that the glory of God covered him. And so we, we have this, this event that happened where Jesus literally just floated up into the sky and disappeared. He went to heaven from earth. That's what the ascension is. And it's really kind of a crazy thing to think about, Right? If you saw this happen, it would kind of blow your mind. It's not something that happens all the time. And so first we need to recognize that this is, this is miraculous. This is something that God is doing very intentionally, and he's doing it so that there is a purpose behind it. And it is very important, because without the ascension, the church would not have survived. And so that begs the second question that we're going to get into. Why is the ascension so important? What does the ascension mean? I'm gonna, I have three points. We're going to walk through those. The very first one is that the ascension means that redemption is completed. Last week, Pastor Marco talked about the line, it is finished, and, and how Christ finished his work. The ascension is the ultimate completion of Jesus' work on earth. And so what he's doing is he is now ascending into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. 
Now the picture that I get from this is I, I grew up working on farms and on ranches. Like we had a horse uh, growing up. My grandfather had a whole ranch. And so I, I grew up doing all this stuff, working out in the fields, uh, shoveling manure, whatever it was. Like that was my childhood. And I remember, you know, after a long day of hard work, coming in and sitting down, you know, you have your dinner, and just kind of the feeling of accomplishment that you get. I mean, you guys know what that's like. You have a good long day, you come home, it's time to rest, and you've seen the accomplishment that you had today. It's the task of the day that's completed. That's kind of the image that I see with him coming, ascending to heaven, sitting down next to the Father, and saying, my work's done. This is the completion of everything that I've done. Hebrews 1.3 says, after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He comes up to heaven. He sits on the right hand of the Father after he has purified us, made a way for us to be able to put our sin aside and turn toward him. That's his work, is, is redeeming us, having redemption in our life. And so this, this act, this ascension into heaven and being seated at the, hand, at the right hand of the Father is the ultimate completion of everything he had done. He is saying, this is final, it's all done. And it's a clear message that is bringing glory to Jesus in that moment. And redemption is completed because the last step of his work is reestablishing complete authority over all creation. It says right before uh, that, that uh, part in Hebrews that I read, says he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his, or by the word of his power. See, Jesus' authority is fully recognized with the ascension. He came to earth as man, fully man and fully God, but when he was on earth during his ministry, he gave up certain godly rights and privileges so that he may be able to be the best high priest that we could ever have. It talks about this in Hebrews, where he is able to know what we go through. He, he had temptation. He lived a life as man and as God. And so when he ascends, it's him taking on the full mantle of his authority and sovereignty over all creation again. And so that's our second point, is that the ascension means that Jesus is king. He is king over all creation. He is the king of kings. 1 Peter 3.22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Jesus, with angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. He is the king of kings, and he is taking his seat of authority in this moment. His sovereignty over everything is being established. In medieval Europe, but throughout history, there was this coronation ceremony that would happen. And coronation is just when a king or a queen would get the crown, they'd sit on the throne, they'd be officially king or queen at that moment. And it was always such a big deal back in the day. I mean, even the last one uh, for the British, uh, Elizabeth, she, I mean, the ceremony was three hours, it was televised, they had festival, they had all these things going on. And it was even more crazy way back when, when this was like the highlight of the year. But it's important. It, it's something that was celebrated. It's something that lifts up that person above the rest of the country as king or queen 
the ascension is basically the coronation of Jesus as king over the kingdom of God. And so what it does is it fully restores him to power, fully restores him to his godly privileges, and it fully glorifies Jesus Christ as God. His ascension to the throne also establishes worship of the Son of God for all time. See, Jesus ascended as flesh, which is a big deal. He came to earth as spirit in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. He lived a life fully man, fully God, which doesn't really make sense to us, but is in Scripture, and it's clear, and it's a truth. He was fully man and fully God. And when he ascended, he didn't, he didn't die, and his spirit goes into heaven. He literally ascends as flesh. Flesh enters into heaven. The, the physical enters into the spiritual. And this is a huge deal for the church, because what this does is it shows a fulfillment of his entire work. See, our, our purpose and our privilege is to serve a risen king who lived among us, like us, so that we may now become like him and have eternity in heaven. That's the whole message here, is that he's able to make a way for eternity to actually happen. And not just a, uh, a spiritual eternity, but rather the physical redemption of all creation, us and everything else. And the, and the last thing that the ascension means is that the Holy Spirit was sent. When he ascended, he, he says that the Holy, one will come after me. One will come when I go. And so he ascends and the Holy Spirit is sent in his place. And it's really a passing of the baton where Jesus is, is amongst his people and he is teaching them. He's establishing the church. He goes into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down. And what that means is that we can have hope in God as a physical presence with us constantly. The Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost, and we see dramatic things happening. We see them actually speaking in different languages, being able to preach to all people in languages they didn't know. I mean, miraculous signs were happening Peter himself was preaching an amazing message that you can read in Acts. And this is the same guy that just a little over a month ago had denied Christ multiple times because he was so afraid. We see the Holy Spirit already doing amazing things just moments after coming and dwelling among the church. See, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us now at this moment. See, the ascension means so much more than it's given credit for. It's, it's not something we should pass over. It's something that we should really dwell upon because the ascension is so vital, not only for the church, but also for our lives in everyday life. And I understand it's easier to remember when we can see the daily impact of it. And so I kind of just walk through some of the theology of it, kind of what it is, what it implies, what it means. But for us to really be able to internalize it, understand really what's happening, I want to walk through what the impact is in our lives every single day. Why does the ascension really matter to us? 
And so I want to ask the question then, how does the ascension impact our, our past, our present, and our future? The hope that we rest in, the definite truth of the gospel, is seen in our lives because of the ascension. And I want to take a moment and talk about what that really means. That means that we all have confidence in what Scripture says. It also means that we should not succumb to lies that we're not good enough, we're not spiritual enough, we haven't been Christians long enough, or that person's more Christian than I am. Whatever it is, those are lies that we, we know that everything that God says and promises to the believer is true for all of us, no matter what. Because what we see is the presence of God within his people giving an authority that Jesus claimed when he took the throne. And Jesus is saying, my church, my bride, is going to have a measure of this authority. And so everything I'm going to talk about, everything that is affected in our past, present, and future, all these things applies to every single Christian in this place, every single Christian around the world. And so even for a moment, if you start thinking, that's not me, or this couldn't be me, that is a lie. And you need to believe that the gospel is true for every believer. And so with confidence, we can say that our past is affected by the ascension because of this simple truth, that our sins are forgiven. And with this, I I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. I've had my own share of doing a lot of dumb things in my life. It doesn't matter what your life was before Christ. The truth is that he has made his work of redemption complete. And that means you are redeemed. Your sins are forgiven completely and fully, and there's no question about it. There's no need to doubt or wonder if, man, is that thing too bad? Is this thing in my history just something that can't be overcome? And the answer is no. God redeems everything in our lives. He forgives our sins, and we have a redemption that we can look forward to. And so no matter who you are in here, no matter where you come from, the truth is, the hope that we hold on to that is a definite truth is that your sins are forgiven. Don't forget that and don't allow lies to tell you that it's not. Because of the ascension, our hope is assured. Because Jesus has complete authority over all things. The authority he has as king means he has complete authority not only over the work of redemption, but he has authority over us. If it was up to us, we wouldn't be able to do it. We wouldn't be able to be redeemed. We wouldn't be able to take our sins and put it behind us. But because Jesus is king, because he sits on the throne, he has complete authority and sovereignty over all things, including you, which means that he can do a work in you. Whether you deserve it or not, which the truth is none of us do, and yet we can hold on to this hope, this knowledge that he will redeem us no matter what. What that means is that we have no shame. We have no guilt. There's no reason to hold on to these things 
because Christ has done a work in you. And so what should be born out of that is joy. Just joy in your relationship with God and what he has done through you so that you can be an example of redemption to the rest of the world. Your sins are forgiven. The ascension also means that in our present, it means that the Holy Spirit is in you. God is with you as, as a believer at all times in a very real way. The Holy of Holies was a place in the middle of the temple way back in the day. And it was this little, this little chamber, this little room where the presence of God was felt acutely. I mean, this was the place where the presence of God dwelt. And only the highest of priests could be there. Nobody, nobody else could go. When the ascension happened and the Holy Spirit came down on earth, the Holy of Holies became in every believer. So you right now, as a Christian, as a believer, you are the Holy of Holies. The presence of God dwells within you. That's an amazing thing, guys. Like the the ability for the creator of everything, the creator of the universe who has all power, he chooses to dwell within us as believers because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. And that's really what we see then is that a relationship is possible because we have a direct line to the, the God of the universe. You don't have to go through somebody else. You don't have to go through some other channel We have direct communication with the king of kings. And because of that, we know that our relationship is real. We can actually be in a real relationship with God. And with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we are also given power. We're given power to overcome sin. Sin has no hold over us anymore. Before we know Christ, we are slaves to our sin. But those chains are broken. When you become a believer, those chains are broken and God controls your life, not sin. And so no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what sin you're struggling with or wants to keep uh, hanging on to you, it has no power. You have authority given by Jesus Christ over the sin in your life. It cannot control you anymore. And that, that is a spectacular thing for the believer because it means that no matter what you're dealing with, it cannot control the outcome of your life. This also means that we are not subject to any evil. Scripture clearly talks about a spiritual war happening. That means there are demons. There are different spiritual forces at work within the world actively fighting against us. As Christians, as believers, we're the front line. We are the bride of Christ. We are the one that he loves. And so his enemies, they want to fight against us. They want to bring us down. And this is a very real thing. Spiritual stuff is very real in the world. There's a, there's a show that uh, my wife and I started watching 
uh, a few weeks ago, I think, and it's, uh, what is it, BuzzFeed, Supernatural, something, it's on Amazon Prime, right? But uh, it's these two dudes, they're basically seeking out uh, whether or not ghosts and demons are real, right? They're non-Christian guys who are just like, we want to figure out if the supernatural is real and stuff. And every episode that has them dealing with like a supposedly like demonic place or whatever, it it's uncomfortable for Nicole and I, and we talk about it, and it's because we know that demons are real. There are spiritual forces fighting against us, and if you go looking for a demon, man, you're going to find it. They are actively seeking to destroy. Talks about in Scripture how Satan is actively seeking, like a lion, to devour those of us on earth. This is a real thing, guys. But with the Holy Spirit within the believer, it means that no evil presence, no demon, no evil spiritual event, nothing has authority over us. That means as believers, we do not have to have fear about those things. We have authority, once again, given by Jesus Christ as king over all things. He has given the believer authority over these things. You see it clearly when the apostles are able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. That's because we cannot be overcome by evil in this world. And so if you feel those moments of fear come upon you, you feel those moments where you're terrified of what the spiritual warfare could actually mean, you can stand confidently in truth knowing that you have complete authority over them. We do not have to live a life in fear of sin, our own desires, or of Satan and his demons. Because we are the subjects of the most powerful king. And he protects those that serve him. So what the ascension means for our future. I oh mean, this one's exciting too. What it means for our future is that we have eternal life. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a maybe. It's not a worldly hope. And this is a godly, biblical hope in a definite truth that as a believer we have eternal life with our king. He is going to redeem us and bring us into heaven with him and then he is going to glorify all of creation so that we can be with him forever. When flesh entered into heaven in the ascension, it guarantees our own physical resurrection and eternity. Jesus made it a fact with his resurrection and ascension. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by Adam with sin, death entered into us. By a man has come also, by Jesus has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, the first, and then at his second coming, those who all belong to him. We all can know with confidence that we have eternity with the Father. 
we know that our future doesn't belong to sin. Our future doesn't belong to guilt or shame, our own fleshly desires, but our future belongs to Jesus Christ and with him in heaven for eternity, living the best life we can imagine. I mean, more than we can imagine. That's what we can hold on to. And this isn't an aspiration, wishful thinking. This is a hope that we have in a clear and definite truth solidified in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. That's what the ascension is all about. And so if you're a believer in this place, if you're a Christian, everything we've talked about, all these things are definite truths in your life. There is no place for doubt in there because he through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension has completed his work. So we don't have anything to fear. We don't have to worry about what life is going to be like. I remember before I was a believer, before I was a Christian, I really struggled with who I was and my identity. And part of that struggle is really kind of knowing, like, what's the future hold for you then? Without Jesus, there is no future. There is nothing that really matters then if you don't have an assured truth in Jesus Christ. And I remember struggling so much with that where it was something that led me to places of depression and it led me to places that were really, really dark and it led me to places of sin because I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around why we were here, what our purpose was. And the truth is that our purpose is to glorify a risen king. And that purpose gives us something beyond any struggle we have, beyond anything that's going on in my life. And I remember clearly when I, come, I came to that knowledge, it was like the scales fell off my eyes. It, it was like my whole life was radically changed. And it's because the gospel, the fact that Jesus came to earth as a man to live life here, to suffer the way he did and to die on the cross so that our sins may be paid for, and then dying, but then rising from the dead, and then ascending into heaven and taking his mantle as king, that truth, that gospel changes everything And it is the greatest joy in my life because it's the greatest truth that I can hold on to. A lot of people in the world say that, you know, religion is not able to be proven. Our changed lives, the transformation that happens in us is the definite proof of God's existence and what he does through his people. With that, that means your story matters. Every single one of us has a story, a testimony of things that have happened in our life that matter because God is at work within you. And so share it. Tell people about it. It's an exciting thing to be able to talk about what God has done in your life. And it also gives us comfort. No matter what you're going through, no matter how much of a struggle today may be, you can take comfort in knowing for sure 
that the gospel is true, and for sure that your sins have been forgiven, for sure that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and for sure that we have eternal life. That brings comfort to the believer. And if you're in this place and you haven't submitted your life to Christ, maybe you've never done it, or maybe you've lived a life where you've kind of just been in and out of church and you've never actually had a relationship, maybe this is your first time here. If you are in this place and, and you don't have that hope to hold on to, man, you can have it today. This hope is something that we should all desire. It's something that we want. And we can actually see how to do it right here in this passage in Acts 2. Because uh, Peter was preaching this message and the people on the street were like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is amazing news. And it says it cut to their heart. It pierced them. And they said, they said what, what can we do? How do we get this? How do we obtain this hope? And Peter simply says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All it takes is for you to confess that you are a sinner. To say, man, I do mess up. I do sin. And I believe that Jesus is Lord and King. And I believe what he has done. And you repent, which means just simply turning away from sin. And say, I'm going to follow you, Christ. Whatever that looks like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you from this day forward. That's all it takes. And so if you're in this place and you don't have that hope, man, Today is the day to get that hope. Today can be a game changer for you in so many different ways. It's the best decision I've ever had of my life. And you can have it today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your ascension, what that means for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, the confidence we can have in that, the confidence that we can have that, that you're going to do a miraculous work within us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from. God, you are so good. You're so amazing to us. I love you desperately. I ask right now that every person in this place, that their hearts will grow closer to you, whatever that may look like for each individual. But my relationship with you is the best thing that I have. And so I, I just earnestly pray that that comes upon everybody, that they are able to reach out to you and be able to know what a personal relationship with you is like. Oh, God, I thank you so much for this and for all things you have given us in your sovereignty, your authority as king. And right now, we're transitioning into a time of tithe and offering, and I thank you for that opportunity to be able to just honor you, to, to worship you in a different way, in a way that's submitting ourselves again through our wallets, which money is the hardest thing to submit, but it's something that can very easily hold on to our lives. And so I thank you for the opportunity that we have. And above all things, I just submit myself to you again. In your name, amen.